and here's my point in bringing this up, is, is if we try to answer big questions like, why does God allow coronavirus? If we try to answer those questions in isolation, and we don't place them into the context of this grand story, the grand story of the Bible, I think that's where we can stray into error, and we can create problems. Welcome to Prepared to Answers podcast. We're glad you joined us. My name is Sean Walker, and I'm joined by Scott Steen. So today, Scott, we're talking about the virus and and how to talk to your kids. Yeah, thanks, Sean. When I was thinking about addressing the issue of talking to our kids about the coronavirus, I was looking around the internet and seeing what kinds of discussions were already out there. Here, prepared to answer, our, of course, our focus and our interest really is in helping the next generation, helping parents, certainly, but helping parents to equip their children to think biblically about these things. So there's certainly a lot of practical things we could say in terms of uh, how to frame your response or how to address the subject while the kids are at home and all those things. And we do, I want to touch on those a little bit at the end. But really what I'm interested to talk about uh, for our time right now is uh, how do we talk to our kids about this so that we help them understand events like coronavirus in the context of the bigger story of the Bible. You know, where does something like coronavirus fit into God's plan? Our kids might frame it a little differently. They might wonder, you know, why does God allow things like the coronavirus? Why is he letting this happen? Why doesn't he stop it? And those are important questions. And we don't want to gloss over those things. We don't want to pretend as though we're afraid to address them because that implicitly sends a message to our kids that we don't want them asking questions. So I want to be careful not to do that. So anyway, my interest is let's first help our kids to put this into the grand story of the Bible. You know what, Scott, I heard what you said, and that's great. I know one of the the questions probably our kids are asking is often we talk about how uh, God is in control of everything, right? He is, he is uh, sovereign over everything. And so if he is, as a kid, I could understand asking, well, why doesn't he just take this virus away? Yeah, and that... And that's probably one of the key questions is, why doesn't he just take it away? Why is he allowing it? And of course, there comes a point where, as Christians, we need to be humble enough to recognize that God's ways are not our ways, that his thoughts are so far above our own, that uh, we don't want to presume to know the mind of God in all things, and that there's a point at which we have to you know, stop and declare that God is God and we're not, and, and so we have to just allow him and trust him with what we don't know and understand. So in that sense, I think we want to be careful when we're answering that question. Why doesn't God stop it or why does he allow it? But at the same time, I think we need to recognize that God has revealed his will to us. In terms of his grand eternal purpose in Christ Jesus, he's, you know, as Paul said, he's made known to us the mystery of his will. So God's ultimate purpose for his creation and what he's seeking to accomplish is something he's shown us. So that much we can, I think, help our kids understand. And that's where I'm talking about putting this into the grand story of the Bible, what God has revealed to us. We realize that the Bible, while it's, while it's true, while it's history, it does tell a story and it, and it breaks up into parts like a story. And so the, the broad sweeping movements of the story of the Bible, starting with creation and then moving to the fall, like any good story, it starts with a, a setting, but then it introduces a crisis. And the fall is certainly the crisis of the story of creation. 
where mankind falls into sin and, uh, and under the curse of sin and creation with him. The third part of the story is really the longest part and takes up most of the Bible, and that is God's redemptive plan, or uh, redemption it's sometimes simply referred to. And then the end of the story is restoration, where God makes all things new. So creation, fall, redemption, and restoration, those are the broad-sweeping themes of the creation story of history. And God has let us in on what he's doing uh, in that story. And here's my point in bringing this up, is, is if we try to answer big questions like, why does God allow coronavirus? If we try to answer those questions in isolation, and we don't place them into the context of this grand story, I think that's where we can stray into error, and we can create problems in presuming to say, well, God, you know, he's doing it because of this or that, and here's his reason for letting this happen. And, uh, and I think that's where we want to be cautious. Could this also be applied to natural disasters, illness, sickness, things like that? I think of the tsunami back in 2006, other big events like that. Sure. And, and really, yes. I mean, why is God allowing the coronavirus is, is really just a subset of a bigger question of why does God allow evil to happen at all, right? With respect to coronavirus, it's just the most present, I guess, and pressing instance of evil and brokenness that we're experiencing. And so it's first and foremost on our minds. But there are still many things happening around the world that we can look at and say, well, why is God allowing this? And again, we don't have all the answers. But as Christians and as parents seeking to teach our kids, it's so key to be able to place these things within the context of this grand story of the Bible. So what I'd like to do is just kind of run through those broad sweeping segments of the story just to show how we might help our kids see how things like coronavirus fit into the story. It doesn't answer everything, but it gives us some understanding. And of course, when we look at the first part of the story, really creation and fall go together. That's the first three chapters of Genesis. In Genesis 1 to 3, we get the creation account of where everything came from. And then really chapter 3, where Adam and Eve fall into sin, really answers the ultimate question, why is the world the way it is? Okay, now we know where it came from. And this is what Israel wanted to know as they were entering Canaan. Why is the world the way that we find it? With the pain and suffering and everything else. And so really, uh, the account of humanity's fall into sin provides us with that overarching answer. The world is not the way uh, it should be. It's broken, and ultimately it's broken because of, of man's sin. And the creature rebelling against the creator, mankind came under a curse because of our sin. But because God made humanity for the earth and the earth for humanity, uh, unfortunately the creation, the world, kind of fell into sin by association with humanity. God placed it under the curse with us. And as Paul mentions in Romans chapter 8, that the creation itself, you know, the physical creation, is groaning under the curse of sin, longing to be released, Paul says. So that at least gives us an answer, generally speaking, of where evil came from. And that's biblically and, and historically, that has been the Christian understanding that, uh, that evil is ultimately introduced into the world because of man's sin. And that's a good explanation. I've always struggled with that difference between evil that people do to people, and you understand that from a sin basis, and the fall 
But often people have that question, which you've answered in terms of, you know, a tsunami or a virus, which is evil, but is yet not given to us through sin specifically. So glad to hear that that's not the end of the story. The fall was not the end of the story. No, for sure. And that would be, it would be a short story if it were. So following Genesis chapter 3, really the rest of the Bible unfolds, really laying out God's plan of redeeming his creation. And so the biblical account is really the story of the creator redeeming his creation from the curse. And of course, ultimately he does that through Jesus, his son, which is marvelous to think about in itself. But when it comes to back to this issue of, okay, now we understand where things like uh, where evil comes from or where brokenness and things like coronavirus, we can trace it back to man's sin. But okay, now why do we experience things as they are right now? Why this ongoing or, or long stretch out period where we're encountering things like coronavirus and death and destruction and all of those things? And of course, again, we have to submit to God and allowing him to be God, that he has his own plan and his own timing. But we do see throughout his redemptive plan that all through history, while sin is being allowed to rear its head and the curse and the effects of the curse, we are able to feel at the same time, God's grace is being displayed. And it's interesting when you look at the the unfolding of the rest of the story of the Bible, you really see this two-pronged unfolding story of both God's judgment on his creation for sin, at the same time, the, the revealing of God's grace and his redemptive purpose. And you know, it starts at the very beginning. It starts from Genesis chapter 3. Adam and Eve fall into sin, and as he warned them, death would result. And of course, they didn't die immediately, right? They began to die, That aging and dying process is what they entered into. They were cast out from the garden, which was the temple dwelling of God on earth. They were cast out from God's presence, where they would have had access to life eternal. That's why God said, now that man has the knowledge of good and evil, we need to remove them from the garden, lest they reach out and eat from the tree of eternal life and live forever in this rebellious state. So God's judgment comes upon them immediately. But at the same time, God's grace is revealed in that he casts them from his presence, his judgment. But in doing so, he he stops and he kills some animals and takes their skin and covers their nakedness, which in the the creation story very much is symptomatic of their innocence to shame. When they were naked and felt no shame, that's because they had nothing to be ashamed of. And yet after sin was when they noted their nakedness, because suddenly they felt exposed. There was something they felt they needed to hide. And, and so God covers that in grace. That that's a beautiful picture because often you hear, I don't know if the protest is the right word, but that our God is a judging God, especially in the old Testament that is wrathful. And, and this picture is given of that, but what a beautiful picture of both judgment because he's holy and then grace at the same time. Are there other examples of that? Yeah, and really it runs right through, the, right through the Old Testament. It's interesting you bring that part up because often people say the God of the Old Testament was wrathful and judgmental and all of the rest. And it's true, his judgment is seen maybe more tangibly in the Old Testament stories. 
But people are quick to skip over the parts where his grace is so clearly seen as well. And it does. It happens all through the Old Testament and right into the New. So Adam and Eve, right off the bat, you know, uh, one of the next events where God's judgment is so clearly portrayed is in the event of the flood in Genesis 6. He sees humanity's wickedness and he, he, he regrets having made humanity and he decides to wipe them off the face of the earth in judgment. But in his grace, he sees Noah, who is a righteous person. And ultimately, he remembers his creation promise that Adam and Eve would fill the earth, right? That was his blessing to them, that their offspring would fill the earth and subdue it. And so God makes a a gracious way of deliverance for Noah and his family and ultimately for the rest of us, because we are ultimately offspring of Noah and his family. But there you have, again, a simultaneous display, God's judgment against sin, simultaneous with his grace display in preserving Noah and his family. It happens again throughout the Old Testament story of Israel over and over again. Uh, probably the best instance is when, when ultimately Jerusalem, Israel, is, is taken into exile. God sends Babylon to destroy Jerusalem, and it does, and takes Israel into captivity. That was God's judgment because of their persistent sin. And yet at the same time, through those Old Testament prophets and that, that account of Israel in exile, God is graciously sustaining and preserving a remnant. And he is graciously promising them that remain faithful to me, follow my commandments while you're in exile, and my promise is I will restore you to the land. Because he remembers the promises he made to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And then, of course, ultimately, we see the, the ultimate example is in Christ and the cross. There in the person of Jesus, the Son of God, hanging on the cross, there is the outpouring of God's judgment upon mankind's sin simultaneous with his display of grace, in that he himself, in the person of his son Jesus, was taking upon himself that judgment penalty for our sin, which is so remarkable. It's a great picture of justice that we often demand. We want to see justice, and God does that through judgment. And yet we also long for love, which we see through grace, and especially in light of our past weekend of Easter, in that perfect, perfect picture of that. Mm -hmm. That's great. Thanks, Scott. So how do we apply this to the coronavirus? Well, I think once you see this dual-pronged picture or story of the unfolding of God's judgment coinciding with the revelation of his grace, then I think it helps you to give a broader explanation to events like coronavirus without presuming to give particular reasons. You know, I think of some people saying, I've heard in the news, some people make references like, well, this is God's judgment on, you know, the the, the decadence of the West. He's, he's judging us for our, our wickedness and showing that, you know, uh, Western culture needs to repent. I'm not sure Western culture is alone in that. I think we're all uh, in that boat. But but to presume to say this is exactly what God is doing right now, I, I really am cautious to do that. And I think we ought not do that. I think that's presumptive speech. But at the same time, can we call the coronavirus God's judgment? Well, I think in the grand story of creation, fall, redemption, and restoration, we can say yes, it, it is. In that it is yet one more display of a creation under the curse of sin which is God's judgment against, ultimately, our sin? Uh, Is it God's particular judgment on individuals? Maybe, 
but I could never know that. Um, so I want to be careful about how I say it. it is God's judgment. I think it is, but I'm cautious in terms of specifics. God brought this on now because of, you know, whatever geopolitical uh, things are going on. I just want to be careful not to do that. But at the same time, I do want to point out that there is an element of grace as well that we can see in this. And that might sound funny, but it's not just like looking at the bright side of things either. That that I think we can say is God using uh, the coronavirus as a means of grace I think there could be something in that where God uses these kinds of events to wake the world up. That God sometimes graciously uses um, hardship or sickness or illness or tragedy to awaken us out of our slumber, so to speak, to the fact that there's nothing in this world we can ultimately put our trust in. That it's God that we need to save us. And I think sometimes it's a bit of a a wake-up call that we may need. And in those cases, that's an act of grace. And it may be for the church that God is using this to awaken us out of slumber because we've fallen into the trap of getting too comfortable and used to this world, forgetting that eternity is approaching, that the return of Christ is, is imminent, and that we have a gospel to proclaim. And so maybe we will begin to have conversations uh, with respect to the gospel that we wouldn't have had otherwise. And people would be saved. In that case, these are very much uh, displays of grace, even as much as they are a part of God's judgment on sin as well. So, could I ask you about practical ways to show your kids this? Hmm. Yeah, that's a really good question. And, and of course, we do want to keep it practical for our kids because that's, that's really where they live. And I think back to our last episode where we were talking about life in the midst of a pandemic. I think some of the realities there are things we can use to point out how God's grace is being displayed. One of the things we talked about was the whole gift of time that we've been given, that life has completely slowed down and we have been separated from one another. You know, our kids are feeling it as much as we are. They want to be with their friends, but they can't be. And one of the things I'm realizing that we're seeing is that it's forcing us to be creative in how we reach out to people. And part of that is it's making us aware that we need to reach out to people. We had kind of a neat thing happen to us on Easter where the kids that live across the road from us left a little basket of goodies with a note to my son. And he doesn't know them that well. They ride the school bus together, but he's the nearest kid to where they live. So they wanted to do something kind for Easter, so they sent across this gift just to encourage him. Well, that probably would not have happened under normal circumstances. Because under normal circumstances, we, we simply stick to our own sphere of comfortable friends and the people we normally want to be around. So in terms of how God's grace can be shown, is being shown through this whole episode, I think one of the things we can help our kids see is, you know what, there are opportunities that we're being presented with to show the love of Jesus to people who we probably wouldn't have otherwise. Because under normal circumstances, we've been so busy with our own schedules running to here and there, karate, youth group, all the rest, that we haven't really taken the time to think about people actually being lonely and that maybe they need a word of encouragement or, or something to that effect. So, so in that sense, I think that grace becomes very practical, that God has stopped us in our tracks, not with something we ever would have wanted, but through this, he's showing us opportunities to display the love of Jesus in ways that otherwise we would not have.
Yeah, thanks. That's a great example, Scott. So, okay, so we've talked about creation, we've talked about the fall, we've talked about redemption, God's judgment and grace. But I'm sure my kids are asking, your kids are asking, a lot of kids are asking, will life ever go back to normal? And in fact, we're asking, will life ever go back to normal the way that we had life previous to the virus? Well, of course, what is normal is a good question. We could probably say fairly confidently, I don't think things will ever go back to normal. You know, we're going to emerge out of this, whatever the world looks like, but I think it'll be marked as a, you know, it'll be sort of be like 9-11 was 20 years ago. There was the world pre-9-11 and the world post-9-11. And I think now people will talk about the world pre-corona and post-corona. What that'll look like ultimately, no idea. People are speculating and, and some speculations are more, more positive than others. Some are a little doom and gloom. Um, I try to stay away from those. Uh, the reality is that we don't know, though. The fears we may have about those realities are understandable. And this is where I think, as with any fear, we need to put it into the ultimate context of the biblical story, understanding that through God's grace, he's told us how the story ends. Right? We may be going through seasons of trial, and things may get worse. There's no promise that things will get better. They may get worse. But ultimately, we don't need to fear because we know the end of the story that God is moving all of history toward one full and final moment where he will make all things new, where sin will be defeated, the curse will be undone, and those who belong to God through Christ will be restored to him and raised to new life with Jesus. And that's what we just celebrated on Easter Sunday. And this isn't just some pie in the sky kind of wistful thinking. This is a reality that is coming. And so, you know, trouble and hardship and all of those things, they all serve as a constant reminder that the world is not the way it should be, but that God is moving us towards a moment in time where he will undo all that is wrong and make everything right. That we have a citizenship that ultimately is in heaven. It's not here on earth. And so, so things might not get better here, but one day they ultimately will be, they'll be perfect. And that's where we put our hope, that God is moving us with certainty towards that day, and also the hope that until we reach that moment, His grace is sufficient for us in the here and now. He doesn't promise to remove all the trials and struggles that we may face because we live in a sin-broken world, but He does promise to be with us. He does promise that His, His grace is sufficient for us, no matter what we face. And that is, I guess, where walking by faith very much comes, uh, you know, the rubber hits the road where we trust God for what is to come when we can't fully see it. Um, but in the, in the here and now, we, we live by faith in what we can't yet see, trusting that God's going to bring it to reality one day. Great. Thanks, Scott. That's a, a great way to end. Um, looking to practical resources. Are there things that uh, we can maybe look at in Scripture? Are there places in Scripture we can go to to help our kids? Are there other practical resources that we can utilize in this time when we have time and access online? Yeah, you know what? On the podcast page, there will be some resources that we've referenced. Uh, There'll be some links we've included as well as some scripture verses. We've also included some tips on how you can pray with your kids throughout the coronavirus. And I think that's important that together you pray with your children, not just praying that God will take it away, but that he'll be with people who are in the midst of it, who are suffering because of it. 
We can pray for our first responders. We can pray for people who are in the thick of dealing with the coronavirus, like our leaders and those in the medical field. And we're also including some links to some practical information sites. It's easy when you spend a lot of time on social media to get your information from social media. And a lot of social media information is speculative in nature. And I think you want to be careful not to speak speculatively with your kids. Just stick with the facts. And so uh, we've included some links to some good factual information on the coronavirus. Some of them are government websites. Uh, Focus on the Family has some really good resources as well. And we've included a link for that too. But you can find that on the podcast page uh, under the notes section. Wonderful. Thanks, Scott. I'd encourage our listeners to check in on our webpage at preparedtoanswer.org under the podcast section. We're going to be doing these on a regular basis. And uh, if you have any questions or something you want Scott and I to address, feel free to email us and uh, we'll do our best to address them. So again, thanks, Scott. Yeah, my pleasure, Sean. It was good to be together again today and we'll look forward to next time. This podcast has been a ministry of Prepared to Answer. Our mission at Prepared to Answer is to help prepare, equip, and encourage the Church of Jesus Christ to grow in confidence of faith by teaching Christians to think like Jesus. To access more resources to help you begin understanding life and the world around you with the mind of Jesus, visit our website at www.preparedtoanswer.org. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at at preparedtoanswer. Or contact us directly by email at info at preparedtoanswer.org. May the Lord bless and keep you.